Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from San Antonio, Texas. Welcome to the show, Arlene Garza. Uh, thank you for having me. So excited to be here. Uh, with you guys on the Real Estate Espresso podcast. Um, excited to to hear what uh, is going on with you and uh, to share what's going on with us in the world of multifamily investing. Awesome. Well, Arlene, great to have you here. And I know you've been investing in multifamily for quite some time. Before we dive into the details, maybe give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Uh, well, I uh, started out in the banking world, 20 years in the banking industry, in various roles as a lender, uh, managing banking centers right when the retail banking um, first started, launched a Hispanic marketing program for Bank of America back when that was uh, first beginning also. So it was fun to do that and also managed an HR team uh, nationwide. My husband owned a property management software company. And so when he had an exit, he came to me and said, what do you think about buying multifamily real estate? And I, of course, said, I don't, know, I don't know anything about that. And being a conservative banker by nature, I said, hold on a minute. I need to understand the numbers side of things. And so we educated ourselves and bought a 24-unit property here in San Antonio that we managed ourselves. And it was definitely strategically what we wanted to do because we wanted to understand everything there was about running a property uh, from the leasing to the accounting to uh, how do you manage the the rehab and everything of that nature. But what we found when we got started or when we were trying to get started was that it helped that we had a pretty strong balance sheet. It helped that we had strong business backgrounds but what hurt us in the beginning was we had no experience running a multifamily property. So we brought in a small minority partner with us in our first deal who lent us his experience and shared lots of tips and tricks along the way. And fast forward to today, we've had 19 acquisitions, 3,500 units and about 410 million in assets. So that's a little bit about us. Along the way, we did also launch our own property management company. We just felt it was important to be able to control what happens on our properties on a day-to-day basis. I love that journey. And, you know, so many people have different pathways into the world of investing and the world of multifamily, whether it's investing in existing assets or development, which is what we do. And it's uh, just so neat to hear different perspectives, different pathways, because there's no cookie cutter formula on how to do this. I agree completely. You know, we know a lot of other syndicators or, you know, general partners or folks that are running their own multifamily investing companies and everybody takes a slightly different path. And I think it's great uh, to talk to different folks and understand what did they do different and, you know, how can we learn from that? Love it. So you've got a reasonable size portfolio. How geographically concentrated or distributed is that? That's often a philosophical, uh, sometimes even a religious argument, depending on how, <laughs> how strongly you feel about it. How, how have you approached that? Well, we are very bullish on the Texas economy and Texas in general. And when we started, we started, as I said, in San Antonio. 
And we had uh, a focus on this market for the first four or five years of our investing journey. And it was strategic again, so that we could build the team in this market that we needed to run our properties. So after about eight properties in San Antonio, we started the process of looking at a second market, decided that Houston was a good market because it's two and a half hours away from San Antonio. So logistically it made sense. And as I looked at the demographics and the numbers uh, around Houston, it behaved a lot like San Antonio in terms of the renter profiles. However, it was you know five times bigger than San Antonio had that much more inventory in terms of properties that were trading. And so we started in, or I started in 2019 visiting Houston. I had the brokers in the San Antonio market that were familiar with our track record and reputation make introductions to their counterparts in the Houston market. And we bought our first one in August of 2019. And then to date, we've bought seven in the Houston market since that time. And I think Houston was interesting when we came in because it always has had a stigma related to energy. But I think if you dig deeper, you find that about 9% of the jobs are truly directly energy related. And outside of that, there's a lot of diversity in terms of the jobs in the Houston market. And really, we look at that because that's where our tenants work, right? That's how they're going to be able to pay their rent. So studying the demographic data and the market and the submarkets, because Houston has no zoning. Houston proper has no zoning. So you could have a multifamily property right next to an industrial warehouse and it not be a big deal, you know, in that market. But we didn't want that. So we do a lot of data mining and a lot of studies uh, of the market before we buy a property, especially in Houston because of the no zoning uh, issue. Well, Houston is such an interesting market because, I mean, like you said, it's a massive market. There's over 650,000 units in the market itself. There's many different sub-markets, you know, everything from the energy corridor to to the southeast to to um, places like the woodlands and spring up in the northwest that are vastly different. There's also a higher proportion of tenants in Houston than compared with most other cities. You know, if you look at the national averages where home ownership runs about 60% and 40% are tenants, roughly speaking, Houston's almost the inverse of that. There's a much higher proportion of tenants in Houston. And so that begs the question of, is Houston a more transient city? Will you experience more churn, more turnover in a city like Houston compared with other markets that might be a little bit more stable? What's been your experience? Well, I think if you look at the history of Houston, it's been a supply issue uh, with Houston where, you know, there were periods of time where the market was flooded with a lot of supply. And then you couple that with maybe an energy situation that compounded the oversupply in the market. And so that has impacted Houston vacancy-wise for a very long time. However, I think Houston got smart in terms of looking at how, how do we make sure we're diversified so that the energy piece doesn't hurt us. And in today's market, the number of new deliveries projected over the next two to three years is very, very low in comparison to some historical periods in the past. So what we know is that there is an abundance of demand. Houston is the number one city projected for population growth over the next five years in the U.S. 
And so we know that, that there will be a lot more movement in migration into Houston. It's a popular destination for the younger demographic, and that's who tends to rent for us. So we're just very careful about looking at what does the job look like? What is the growth of jobs and what's the population growth, even down to the submarket level? So we know which are the top submarkets in that overall MSA. And we specifically pick properties that come available in those submarkets to make sure that we've hedged our bets as best we can. It's been a lot of cap rate compression over the last several years as particular institutions have gone searching for yield to the point where the difference in price between a class A, brand new class A product versus a C-class product that's clearly got higher financial risk, there's not a big enough spread between those two. Where's What's been your focus? We initially started with C-class properties. A lot of that is because that's what we could get into, right? With not a lot of experience. And we migrated into the B-class. B-class is a space we like to play in because in a downturn, in an economy, if a renter can't afford A-class rents, they'll move down to a B. And it's always the aspiration of a C-class renter to move into a B-class property. So we feel like that's a sweet spot. We had been buying a lot of 80s properties, um, more of a value add. And then um, exactly to your point, 2020, in the midst of COVID, we looked and said, wow, we can buy a newer, better quality asset for not a big differential in the cap rate. So let's start looking in that area. So we did. We bought uh, 90s, late 90s assets. And in fact, last year, we closed a 2016 uh, mid-rise in downtown Houston. And again, for that reason, why take the additional risk if for not a big differential you can buy a newer asset that potentially you can hold longer? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In fact, what we found and part of the reason why we're primarily focused on new construction is that there is so much money chasing yield in the multifamily space that when any of these properties come on the market, if they do come on the market, uh, they often turn into an auction which means that if you're the winning bidder, you're probably paying too much. And uh, we found that we can develop for significantly less than things are selling for in the open market. You're exactly right. In fact, we are just now starting a a small development in San Antonio ourselves, uh, specifically for that reason, because we do see a big value in developing a project versus buying an existing. Now, we will continue to do both, but I agree with you. There are some great opportunities in develop in the development space and we in particular are getting on the bandwagon for the build uh, to rent communities Uh, we know there's a lot of demand for that in fact we're we would be closing early april on a smaller build to rent community in houston that's existing uh, was built in 2018 but the uh, owner really did not do a lot in terms of raising rents and so there's a huge three to four hundred dollar per month immediate upside. In fact, they're already reaching those rents while we've been under contract. So we're excited about that and and know that development is definitely in our future. Uh, We're fortunate our kids have joined our business. We are very passionate about having a legacy business and our son's degree is in real estate finance and development. So he's starting that first project with us. Very cool. Well, Arlene, if uh, folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? 
The best way is to reach us through our website. It's REAP Equity. That's R is in Robert, E is in Edward, E is in Edward, P is in Paul, Equity. And you go on our website, there's a button you can click and it will connect you with our investor relations manager who will set up a call if you'd like to, to get to know us better. Fantastic. Well, Arlene, thank you for the perspective. Love what you're doing. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Arlene at Reap Equity. The link is in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>